Welcome to the other side of March 15th. We made it. We got through the other side of the seasonal low point, the mid-March bottleneck, and everything feels so much better, doesn't it? Or does it? Has anything actually changed between yesterday and today, apart from this, this weird quirk of the seasonal March calendar? Well, First Republic is in talks for a private buyout that doesn't involve the banking or the government, so that seems a lot better. Markets have reversed and retraced some of their ridiculous, insane levels of selling and hedging and everything bad that's happened over the last week, so that seems to be better. I think the problem is most in the public, for understandable reasons, have this sense of economic, monetary, financial crisis that is at odds with reality. We think that a crisis is day after day after day after day, unending, unrelenting pressure and chaos and disorder when it's far from it. Crises develop in incremental stages. Something bad happens, then it backs off, and we all take a period to assess when, in fact, that incremental stage that just happened merely sets us up for the next stage, which happens at some point down the road. That's where we are. That's what markets are saying about the last week or so. This was a big incremental step, such a big incremental step, it put us on the course for, as I said yesterday, the 2008-style scenario. Not a repeat of 2008, but a 2008-style scenario where this bad steepening, the market behavior, this incremental step into crisis is essentially the market saying, the probability of now changing course and avoiding this 2008-style scenario is effectively zero. Never zero, never actually zero, because nothing is ever certain, but as small a chance as we could possibly get. Central bank and officials, central bank officials, central banks and officials, they don't agree, obviously. And we know this because today the European Central Bank hiked rates by 50 basis points because they still believe everything is just fine and inflation is the biggest risk to Europe and the rest of the world. Let me read you from their statement released today. We are monitoring current market tensions closely and stand ready to respond as necessary to preserve price stability and financial stability in the euro area. The euro area banking sector is resilient with strong capital and liquidity positions. In any case, wait a minute, if everything's resilient, what do we need in any case? But in any case, our policy toolkit is fully equipped to provide liquidity support to the euro area financial system if needed and to preserve the smooth transition of monetary policy. There it is. Everything is fine, but if it's not fine, we have all the tools. Never mind the fact that every central bank around the world says the same stupid thing. We have all the tools. Then something happens, like the Fed this weekend, and they have to invent a new tool. You get the sense that these central bankers are all, all hat and no cattle. They're all steak, they're all sizzle and no steak. They're all talk. No action. In fact, that's what Ben Bernanke actually said in his very first blog post at Brookings when he retired. Back in 2015, he said, When I was at the Federal Reserve, I occasionally observed that monetary policy is 98% talk and only 2% action, which adds up to 100% BS in any legitimate mathematics. The ability to shape market expectations of future policy through public statements is one of the most powerful tools the Fed 
or ECB has. And it is one reason why markets have absolutely no faith in the Fed or the ECB about anything they say or occasionally do. When they invent new tools, it's because the old tools didn't work. And they had to invent new tools and talk about their tools because they said everything was fine when it was not fine. Central bankers are going to talk and that's all they're gonna do. And the market reaction to the ECB's rate hike was absolutely priceless. And the fact that the reaction was, there was no reaction. We'll get into all that, what the 2008 scenario says, what's going on today specifically that's important. But first, I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has subscriptions available, research subscriptions, where we talk about these things, macroeconomic details, market details, curves. Uh, one form is a daily briefing, another the deep dive analysis, the titles are pretty descriptive. Don't need to really get into those too much. Also have Eurodollar University memberships where we get into the background, the details, talk about educational fun uh, uh, educational parameters, what's going on, how it all fits together, what you need to know to understand how the monetary system actually works. All the information available, eurodollar.university. So as I said, the ECB says, everything's fine. We've got the tools, everything's good. Liquidity, capital ratios, all the stuff that we said was fine the last time in 2008, we're gonna say the same things today. In fact, we believe that inflation is still the biggest risk in the economy. Let's go back to the ECB statement. The, the elevated level of uncertainty reinforces the importance of data-dependent approach to our policy decisions which will be determined by our assessment of the inflation outlook in light of the incoming economic and financial data. Mm, that one. The dynamics of underlying inflation and the strength of monetary policy transmission. They talk about policy transmission because what they're not telling you is that transmission has been an issue. As in central banks say they have tools, say they're going to deploy those tools, but those tools never seem to produce the desired results. Thus, the constant need to invent new tools along the way. Not that they're going to tell you about the new tools, except when they make a big splash and telling you they have a new tool and this tool is the best thing ever invented. When Ben Bernanke told you before, all of their tools amount to the same amount of talk or BS, because it all is BS. Now, as far as being data dependent on inflation, you would think that, in that data included Financial data, they say it right here in their statement. We look at financial data, but we know they don't look at financial data because the financial data uniformly says everything is not fine and inflation is not our biggest risk. Today is a perfect example of exactly this. The ECB looks at only their econometric models which have proven worthless time and time again ignoring financial data, which tells them your models are worthless every time, as are your tools. Your tools are absolutely worthless. So today the ECB hiked rates by 50 basis points. As we're told, the markets are controlled, right? It says it in all the textbooks. It says it in all the financial media. If a central bank does something, every piece of the marketplace dutifully obeys. Remember, Alan Greenspan's series of one year forwards. ECB hikes rates, 
all the rest of the rates fall in line, the entire curve from top to bottom, because the central bank is the most powerful institution ever. They've got the tools. So the ECB hiked rates by 50 basis points today. We would expect to see rates exceptionally high and going higher all across Europe, right? Absolutely not. In fact, rates have declined over the last week, even though participants in the marketplace were pretty sure the ECB was going to still hike rates, even if it was maybe 25, not 50. Regardless, rates have gone down. I talk about the German market all the time for this very reason. It's an important market. It's not just about Germany, not just about Europe. It's a global market, uh, very important in that respect. We'll just focus on the 10-year yields here because just sake of time and really doesn't matter because the entire curves have behaved in the same fashion. The German 10-year on March 9th, so a week, a week ago, back when this stuff, just before it all really hit, the German 10-year was 265. That was already low because the ECB uh, midpoint was at 3%. Now it's at 3.5%. So it's 3% 3 last week, 265 under it, just barely above the deposit floor. Not that that's a direct comparable, but it is, it is an interesting marker for making comparisons. A week later, the German tenure is 2.21. Now the, the ECB rates that they just announced that they're raising won't be effective until next week. But again, the market knows where these rates are going to go. The midpoint's going to be three and a half percent next week. And the German 10 is at 2.21. Lower this week than last week, given the events, given all the talk about resilience and how everything is great, how the Fed, like the ECB, has all the tools and they'll invent new ones as needed. It's not just Germany, though. The French tenure. French tenure on March 9th was 3.14. As of today, last check, 276. Much lower, despite the rate hikes. Belgium. The Belgian tenure uh, a week ago was 324. As of last check today, 288. Spain. Spain, which is one of the Club Med sort of thought of as one of the weaker uh, European sovereigns, which the rates reflect the higher risks associated with it. But even Spain, last March, or last week, March 9th, the tenure was at 366. Today, 332. That's less than the ECB's midpoint is going to be next week. Spain, tenure. Italy, perhaps the weakest of the large sovereigns in Europe. 439 a week ago, which is reflecting the risks there. Even that one is down to 410 as of March 16th. Why? Why are European sovereign yields falling if everything is fine? If the ECB is saying we have to hike rates to fight inflation? Because Irving Fisher told us over a century ago, bond yields can be decomposed into growth and inflation expectations, building upon the expectations for the path of short-term interest rates. So the path of short-term interest rates is going up because, well, at least for the time being, because central banks still believe that inflation is the biggest risk. Meanwhile, markets know the biggest risk is not inflation. In fact, we're heading into the 2008-style scenario of deflationary money and bad economics, which will reduce inflation regardless of rate hikes, consumer prices. It was never inflation. In fact, the ECB's econometric models are so are so focused on their on the models, on the assumptions that go into it, ignoring all of this market, all these market inputs. 
What they said was the baseline projections for growth in 2023 have been revised up to an average of 1% as a result of both the decline in energy prices and the economy's greater resilience to the challenging international environment. Forgive my laughing here, but it's so damn absurd. It's so stupid. They've raised their economic projections at the same time the markets have marked them way down into something really bad. But you have to like how they say that there, because the markets are not the only hedgers that we've seen over the last week. Of course, that's, the amount of hedging in the marketplace has been utterly insane, but the ECB is hedging here too, if you caught it. The challenging international environment. If our models prove to be faulty yet again, we have someone to, it's not our fault. The economy, European economy was fine. It was this global recession out there that caused, uh, caused problems that we didn't foresee that the market did. So we couldn't possibly be blamed for the, how the, how the uh, economy actually turned out. Again, Bernanke had it right. These people are all talk and the markets know it. They think inflation is still the biggest risk because that's what's in their models. Models are all based on backwards-looking data at best. Markets are looking forward at a very different future. Not just a very different future, a very different reality. As I said, the 2008-style scenario is a combination of two things. Deflationary money, which that's not a future risk. That's happened. We've already seen it. The fact that it hasn't produced the end of the world isn't really part of the 2008-style scenario either. We're not looking for an end of the world. We're looking for incremental steps toward that crisis. And that's what we've gotten. And that's what markets are pricing. The other part of that is, of course, not what the ECB says, which was a resilient economy, but the opposite, a weak economy when a weak economy combined with a deflationary outbreak leads to a nastier recession than would otherwise have been the case. And we look around the markets here, we look around the economic data across this challenging international environment, and we see both components, not as future risk, but in the present tense. More data today. Uh, just briefly, Eurodollar futures, where are they? They're selling off in the white uh, contracts, so reversing somewhat of the gains over the last week, a small part. But either way, as this as we get to the other side of the March bottleneck, the Eurodollar futures curve is inverted from the very front. So April on down. What that means is, given where the contracts are, the Fed may get away with another 25 basis point rate hike next week, but the market is saying the chances are that that's not even, that's not even 100% that the Fed's gonna hike rates next week. And if they do, that's probably the last one. In fact, that's almost certainly the last one. And then the chances of rate hikes happening the next meeting beyond that are better than 50-50. Does that sound like an economy that's doing fine? Does that sound like deflationary money? Does that sound like all of these, the First Republic private bailout, bail, uh, buyout is going to answer all of our problems? No. So economic data, we got the U.S. retail sales, which showed that nothing had changed in the United States, which is precisely the problem. Uh, we've gotten into this economic state in the United States because retail sales haven't changed over the last year or so. Americans are still paying more to get less, which is recipe for recession, especially through the boat reversible whip effect as the inventory cycle continues to crash manufacturers. 
couple data points we got this week, the Empire Fed and the Federal, uh, the Philly Fed uh, manufacturing surveys, just not good. Uh, the, the Empire Fed fell to minus 24.6 from minus 5.8. New orders, minus 21.7 from minus 7.8. Employment, minus 10 from minus 6.6. The bigger one, Philly. Well, the headline was somehow higher, for, but it was higher from minus 24 to minus 23.2, or minus 24.3 to minus 23.2, so not really. Biggest thing, new orders, minus 28.2. Employment went from minus 10.1 from uh, to minus 10.1 from plus 5.1. So the as the payroll report, we saw manufacturing uh, payrolls decline in that one for the first time. We're starting to see bigger, even worse pressure on manufacturers in the U.S., which has pressured producer prices. Forget about the CPI. You want to know where consumer and producer prices are doing in the U.S.? Let's look at the PPI. The PPI, which was released yesterday amidst all everything else, uh, the PPI was down again. Two of the last three months, it's been down. The year-over-year -year rate was the lowest since March of 2021. The core PPI, unlike the core CPI, the core PPI was down in February, which was the first negative, uh, first monthly negative since April 2020. In the core PPI, you can clearly see prices have changed. PPI services, because everybody says, oh, it's services prices you have to worry about. Forget the rental prices, services. Unlike the services numbers in the CPI, which do include all of those rent imputations, the PPI services has been falling for two consecutive months, January and February. That was the first time that's happened since 2016. Retail sales, PPI, oil, regional fed, oil. Oil fell below its $70 a barrel in Contango, even as news, we got news uh, report data from January. Global oil production was the lowest in seven months, yet somehow oil is falling in price in Contango after massive inventory builds. The markets are telling you, the oil market is telling you, like the Philly Fed and the Empire Fed and the PPI, U.S. demand is incredibly weak already. Not in the future, right now. Combine that with what we're seeing in the deflationary monetary outbreak. And yes, from Europe's perspective, they can blame the U.S. and say it's an uncertain, challenging environment. Um, they can blame China, who just released their big three data recently, which I went over in my deep dive analysis yesterday. So I don't really have time to get into here. But summing up, it wasn't good. It was just like markets have been pricing. The Chinese economy is not flourishing now that it's being reopened. So again, challenging international environment, not in the future, right now. Oil data, curves, all the markets, the financial data say these central bankers are indeed all talk. And you would do very well not to listen to what they're saying because they're going to continue to say the same things over and over and over again. We've got everything covered. Everything is fine. But oh, by the way, if it's not fine, we can make some stuff up to make it seem like we're going to do something about it. Listen to the markets. The 2008 style scenario, which says that deflationary money, bad economics, combining already. So the chances of avoiding the that style of a, event have dwindled down to too small, too little. 
Central banks are always the last to realize the situation for what it actually is. And today is an absolutely perfect example of that. Thank you to Christine Lagarde. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. I do appreciate it. If uh, Always uh, thank you to the Eurodollar University members as well as our research subscribers. And until next time, do take care, even if it isn't a March bottleneck.